What's up, fantasy fans? This is the League of Leagues podcast, a fantasy football podcast, and I'm your host, Scott Aliali. Today is an awesome day. It's July 1st, 2020, which marks the official start to the 2020 fantasy football season. There's really four seasons that go into a full fantasy league year. Now, let me explain. The first of the four is preparation, and that preparation starts today. The second is the fantasy football draft. The third is the NFL regular season, where depending on how you prepared and how you drafted, that regular season can either be an awesome thing to watch or just completely miserable. And then the fourth for those chosen ones is the fantasy football postseason, where fantasy dreams are made, where bragging rights are earned, and where trophies are won. I think everybody has their own different way of getting their football season kicked off. And for me, I kick off my fantasy football season the same way I've done it for the last 20 years. There's so much information that's out there digitally these days between the TV shows that are on, the podcasts that you're listening to, the platforms that you can go on to research who you want to draft. These are all great sources of information, but I like to take it back, take it back in time. I like to go up to that bookstore, the local Barnes and Nobles, the local Borders. I like to walk in. I like to pull out the four or five magazines that are still being published out there, pull them off the shelf, go post up in the corner where the coffee shop is, grab myself a cold brew, a notepad, those magazines, and really start mapping out how I want my draft in my 2020 fantasy football season to look like. I plan on doing that again this year. We have 4th of July weekend coming up. And I plan on spending one of those days over the weekend going into that bookstore and doing the same old thing I've always done. It's the way I like to kind of get the football season kicked off. I'm sure everybody else has their own tradition, and I can't wait to hear about what yours is. This is episode seven of our summer interview series, and we're going to make this episode a family matter. All right, we get two times the Ali Ali trouble here today. I have Mike Ali Ali with me. How's it going, man? Good, man. Good to see you. Glad you made it out of New York. Yeah, good to see you too. Why don't we start about talking about the breaking news first, the New England Patriots signing of Cam Newton. I have my own strong opinions about that, but Mike, let's start with yours. So we always talk about splashy. This is splashy for a namesake, but if you dig into the numbers, really, what is this going to do for the New England Patriots? Cam Newton, if you take out his 2015 MVP season, is a 3,000-yard, 20-25-yard touchdown quarterback, which is really serviceable. And you know what? All the conspiracy theories going into this where the uh, Patriots are going to tank and get Trevor Lawrence with their draft capital, um, this could really uh, put a hole in that plan. And quite frankly, uh, I don't think it's going to be as great for them as people think. Yeah, it, to me, it's, it's a little bit of a sign of desperation by the Patriots if Cam Newton's really the type of quarterback at this stage that can take a team to a Super Bowl, and when you listen to mainstream media, that's literally what they're talking about, about how Cam, Cam Newton makes them a contender. Um, he would have si- been signed much earlier than he was signed today. So that's one factor. The other is Cam Newton was at his best when he was a running quarterback. He went to the Super Bowl. He was great in Auburn. He was r- rushing for touchdowns. Um, he got hit a bunch, but he could take those hits. That's not the same guy that that's on the New England Patriots right now. And he's had shoulder issues as well, and he hasn't been a good thrower for a long time. Last point I'll make on this is look at his weapons. His number one receiver is a 35-year-old Julian Edelman. Mohamed Sanu, kind of just a guy at this point. 
and Nikhil Harry, who's who's really just unproven, unproven, and you don't even know who his tight ends are anymore. So, to me, this takes a five-win team with Jarrett Stidham, and I really think this shows what the Patriots really had in mind about Jared Stidham, how he really wasn't the guy, and it maybe makes them at best a seven to eight win team. You get what you pay for. Seven point five million dollar year quarterback, that's what you get. Kind of feels like buying a suit at Kmart. Fantasy wise, streamer only, outside of my top twelve. So I just gave you my story about how I kick off the fantasy football season, the first of four seasons being the preparation. What is what does fantasy football mean to you and how do you get things started to get into fantasy mode? So fantasy football really means everything to me for at least six months of the year because, you know, the guys' chat's buzzing. You're, you're taking a lot of heat if you didn't place well last season. And, you know, you're talking a lot of crap for the, the season coming up. So to get hyped up, Scott, you always say we're looking at the same magazines and all that, but I definitely have some secret weapons on certain podcasts that I listen to. So definitely start uh, listening to those almost immediately leading up to the season. Um, and then also, you know, getting get, kind of like you getting a, a hard copy magazine, even though, you know, they're not always the, the, the most correct. I remember one year, uh, in my early twenties and left a magazine in, the, in my trunk from one season all the way to the other. And just for fun, I took it out and looked at it and couldn't be more surprised with how wrong the, uh, predictions and everything were. So at this point I just use those rags for, uh, bye weeks and uh, last year's uh, stats for certain players. Having that magazine on your coffee table is just a nice reminder every morning in the summer that football is right around the corner. And we're excited to hear about the uh, arsenal of weapons that you have to un- unleash for us here today. Um, on a little bit more of a somber note, I talked about the narrative last week changing in the football environment when we're looking at COVID. There's more media um, coverage on players and teams getting contracted with the COVID virus. Uh, Fauci, again, he came on and he talked about how it's going to be difficult for players to, uh, to play during the football season. I really think about optics now. So you have narrative and then you have optics. So if we continue in this state of states kind of taking a step backwards, you see what's happening in Arizona and Texas and Florida. The reopenings have gone on pause. Um, if things kind of trend towards the worse and the optics don't look good, and then you not only have players to be concerned about, but think about coaches, right? You think about a guy like uh, Bruce Arians or or maybe Vic Fangio. Those are older guys and, you know, they're not in the greatest of shape. So how do you protect them? Um, if the optics don't end up looking good, there could be there could be even if they start the season, a step backwards for the NFL itself. Um, what, are, what are you thinking going into the season here? You know, we're really seeing that with, with COVID and the whole pandemic, it's, it's ebbs and flows. Things go up, things go down. And right now, certain pockets of the country, we're seeing it go up. So really depends where we're at come August, September, when we're looking to kick it off. Because, I mean, if, if, you, if we talked about it two months ago and looking at it now, it, it changes daily. So, so that's really the big thing. And to your point from your, from the last episode of this podcast, NFL is the juggernaut of professional sports and it looks like the MLB is going forward. The NBA is going forward. So I don't think there's any cause for concern that the NFL won't go forward. It's just a a matter of uh, protecting the players, the coaches to ensure that the, the season goes uninterrupted and unscathed. 
I'm looking for precedent when you talk about the other leagues. So you have the NBA and MLB starting up. I don't even know if you can count MLB as a sport, but for argument's sake, let's say that it still is. Um, we need basketball to to be able to to do this and do it the right way and not have a major step backwards. Because if that positive precedent can be set, it just makes it so much easier for the NFL to move forward with things as well. So let's talk about the fantasy impact of COVID. Last week, I brought up how you may want to keep track of players like Ezekiel Elliott, who've already been known to have had COVID-19. Therefore, you know they won't be able to contract it in the future. At least we don't think so. Um, what are you thinking in terms of fantasy rosters? Are you just going business as usual, drafting as usual? Or are you factoring this in going into draft season? So I'm glad you brought this up because the most league of league things ever happened. So we always talk about the league of league is always a step ahead of the game. And I remember I was going out for a run thinking about this podcast and in my head, I was, I go, you know what? It'd be really smart if I target players that have already had COVID like an easy kills Elliot. So I don't have to worry about it. And I press play on last week's episode with Will, and there you are talking about it. Frankly, it was the most league league thing ever. So to that point, really, um, I will have a list of guys who are who have already had COVID, and uh, and they will kind of go up a little bit in draft stock. Interesting. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way um, when the margin is really slim between two players. Knowing if a player already have COVID, has had COVID, it might tip the scale for me a little bit. As we get closer into the season, we'll see how heavy of a tip it does impact on the, on the scale itself. Uh, let's talk a little football outside of fantasy for a little bit. You're a Dolphins fan. Give us your background on how you got into football and how you became a Dolphins fan. I remember you used to like beat the hell out of me anytime the Dolphins lost. And one game really comes to mind. Um, it was a Monday nighter, and I was feeling pretty good about the Dolphins' chances. They were up like 23 points. I think everyone knows this as the uh, NFL Monday night miracle against the Jets. Uh, I think it was back in 2000. The Jets scored 30 points in the fourth quarter, tying the game, then winning in overtime. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a game that stood out and a beating that I took that really made me root for the Dolphins early on. So fantasy then, um, how did you get into fantasy football? And, and what was your entry point into the League of Leagues? So I think I took advantage of a little bit of nepotism being your brother and getting uh, called up to the league. I think I started in, um, I was 18, so 2003, uh, won a championship my rookie season, and, and that really started it. Uh, saw how much everyone was into it and, and how much it bonded us. I remember we used to get together for the games and we had three separate TVs and had a little like sports bar set up at, at your place where we used to watch every single week and then... Uh, for the past 17 years or so, been in the League of Leagues. Been awesome. Yeah, getting a uh, a championship your rookie year. Rookie of the year, I mean, that's that's a great way to get into fantasy football and get sucked into it um, ever since that point. I dug up a photo from our draft in 2004, and I noticed that you had a Chiefs jersey on. Um, we're not Chiefs fans, that's for sure. So why don't you give us some background about why you were rocking a Chiefs jersey in 2004? So 2003, that was the year before uh, Priest Holmes had that hip injury. And uh, so he came back. There were a lot of question marks around him. And uh, I think it was the ninth pick in the first round. And I, I went ahead and just jumped on that. And that was the year that he set the rushing touchdown record and, you know, really rode that thing to a championship. There's always – there's sometimes that you have that one guy on your team that will just make it happen every week with multiple touchdowns. And that was my guy. 
that team was insane from a fantasy rushing touchdown perspective. If, if it wasn't Priest Holmes, it was Larry Johnson. It was whoever had the ball. The offensive line was like parting the Red Sea. The touchdown just kind of came, but uh, that's awesome. I, where's that Chiefs jersey now? That Chiefs jersey is hanging in the closet, as you said. Definitely a Dolphins fan. So uh, it's buried, but it's got a special place in my heart for sure. You hung it up in retirement. So that's an awesome fantasy high. Are there any others that jump out to you? Um, the other high, you know, always winning a championship is a high. So I'll make this quick. Um, you know, sometimes you have a team of destiny. And I remember my 2017 uh, team. Scott, your team was objectively the best team in that league. I think you had Todd Gurley. You had Antonio Brown. Um, it, you, you were stacked. And I was going up against you and definitely should have lost. But it took Todd Gurley and Antonio Brown going down that week for me to beat you and barely beat you. And then um, I remember the, the round before that. Uh, I remember this, yeah. It was a great Monday nighter. I maybe had a 10, 15-point lead going into it. And uh, I think I was maybe playing Ian. And he had, you know, Tom, Tom Brady. Brady. Yep. And the Dolphins absolutely shelled him in New England on Monday night. Tom Brady, I don't think, had a, uh, a completion um, in the second half. Something ridiculous like that. And uh, so that was definitely a high. Um, the, the other one was uh, last year. So Matt had the ninth pick and was debating, and I had the tenth. And he was debating between uh, Juju and Michael Thomas. And I was pushing him in his ear saying, oh, just imagine those big bombs from Big Ben going to Juju. <laughs> and he went with Juju and uh, the rest is history. Going back to that 2017 round before you met me in the finals, I remember that Monday night game because I was at Slattery's Midtown Pub, home of Dolphins NYC, going nuts watching that. Uh, Jay Cutler brought out his inner Tom Brady. It was like the two guys reversed. There was one moment in the game where I remember the the Patriots had the ball on like the inch yard line and Tom Brady was going to sneak it in. And that would have been the difference between you going to the finals or not. Uh, that's, that's how quickly ties can turn in, in fantasy football. But that was an awesome high. Um, I have lows in the back of my mind already for you. I'm not going to bring them up. I'm going to let you bring them up yourself. Let's go through some of the low points. So, so the one low point... That is the lowest of lows. I was in the semifinals against Ian. So now I think we're even because I beat Ian on that Monday nighter with New England. But um, I had like a 40-something point lead, and he had uh, uh, David Johnson. And he oh. put up like 47, 50 points. And we were at the Chargers-Dolphins game. We were on the train back home. I was on the train home hitting refresh thinking that the app was broken <laughs> because yeah. every time I'd refresh it, Johnson had a touchdown. So I, And then I looked at – so I obviously lost, and then I looked at – and that was to get into the finals, and I looked at the numbers in the finals, and I would have won. So I'd be sitting here as your three-time champion, not a two-time. So that's the as low as it could get for me. Oh, that's a taste of bitterness right there. Um, that's why Sunday night and Monday night hope could be so worthwhile. Just knowing you have a player, doesn't matter who it is and what you're down by, but knowing that you still have activity left on your roster can go so so far. Um, that's awesome. That's an awesome Awesome low. Uh, you didn't bring up the dress. I, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I'm going to have to rock it this year. So uh, tell, tell the, the, the group here a little bit more about what it's like to rock the dress of the draft. I, I, I tell you, man, um, I don't know what's worse, wearing the dress or the six months leading up to it of <laughs> everyone sending you pictures of a dress that could possibly be the one you're wearing. So it was, it was brutal. Um, I will say, so as you guys know, we, we do the draft and then usually the JW Marriott or a public place. The, uh, the public is very welcoming of that sort of thing. It's a, it's a lot of fun um, 
you really are the most popular person at the draft. Yep, I am not looking forward to being the most popular person at the draft, but if we have a draft and I wear a dress, I'll take it because the alternative is there's no draft and there's no football. So bring it on, bring on the pictures, bring bring me whatever dress you want to bring me. I'm actually kind of excited to wear it because that means we're out doing our thing in August and having the draft. So we mentioned Priest Holmes as a guy that's been near and dear to your fantasy heart. Um, any other guys on the positive side or maybe on the negative side that you won't touch with the 10-foot pole? Um, so, so more, uh, I mean, historically, I, I remember I had Danian Tomlinson one year and he received a TD, rushed a TD, and passed a TD. So anytime you have someone like that, it's great. Uh, Julio is one of those guys that has always performed. He Julio! May, <laughs> he may get allergic to the end zone every now and again, but he'll get you 100-plus yards to make up with that, make up for that. He'll play hurt. He'll uh, he'll get tons of uh, receptions. We're a half PPR league, so that definitely helps. Um, so, you know, I, I love those reliable guys that will just plug and play, give you the numbers, doesn't matter who's covering them. Does Julio get double-digit TDs for the first time ever this season? No. <laughs> you, you don't bet on receivers getting older. Maybe he'll get the triple-digit catches to try to make up for that. I think so. All right, we talked a little bit about looking backwards. Let's look forward. Look to the draft. Look to the the mock drafts, the the expert consensus rank consensus ranking, the ECRs. Uh, when you look at the way the draft is sort of set up right now, and I know a lot can change between July and when we get to the drafts in August, but based on what you're seeing now, when you're looking at draft slots one through ten. Is there an area in the draft that you're targeting to be able to have your draft position, or does it really not matter to you? Um, you know, every year going into it, I try to look at where's that cutoff between an elite player like a Christian McCaffrey and then to someone that isn't so elite like an Austin Eckler or someone like that. And looking at, looking at it going this year, I think you want to get the top five spots um, then if not, you just want to ride the horn. That middle area of uh, six, seven, eight, and nine is kind of a no man's land where you're getting two second tier guys and uh, and lower on the totem pole on the on the second round. So really targeting the front or the back and the middle is just going to eat you alive. So you're thinking you have McCaffrey, you have Elliott, you have Barkley, you have maybe Camara. Michael Thomas or Dalvin Cook if he signs his contract, of course. And then after that, you're seeing a pretty significant drop-off. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at a, a Derrick Henry who had a phenomenal season last year, but you got to wonder, it's a lot of miles on that odometer after last year. Um, and then you've got like a Joe Mixon who, who obviously didn't do anything, and I'm not sure how much uh, Joe Burrow can do for him year one. And then you got, you know, seeing some guys reach for quarterbacks like a Lamar Jackson early in the first round. Nick Chubb, who's... Uh, you know, a, a great back, but in a pretty chaotic system. Austin Eckler, who is really pass reliant, and you don't have Philip Rivers there anymore. You got Tyrod with question marks around that. Um, Josh Jacobs, who had a great season. I mean, is it going to be a sophomore slump, or is this one where he becomes an elite back? So, a lot of question marks. Yeah, it's a running back heavy early part of the draft, um, but. Those running backs kind of after that first batch that you mentioned, they come with their own question marks. So it's kind of a matter of how do you personally feel about those players? I'm always of the opinion of go and get your guy. Um, so for me, 
it doesn't really matter too much where you draft on the board because if you don't get the running back value that you're looking for, you have some awesome receivers that you can take. I would shy away from maybe forcing it and taking running backs that you don't truly believe in at the end of the the first round and beginning of the second. Um, But as you look at the way the draft sort of unfolds and with all the running back heaviness that's going on early in the draft, is there a strategy that jumps out to you based on draft position of either taking, you know, are you going to look to take a running back and receiver, vice versa? Or are you going to look to take two running backs because you really want to stock up on those or maybe two receivers in the first and second round? Yeah, you know, my philosophy is really, um, you know, when I first, first started fantasy football, and I think a lot of people fall victim to this, is I want to draft a starting roster as soon as possible. Um, you you got to draft on availability. If, 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 uh, if guys are going back-to-back running backs, and uh, you know what, you have one running back or even none, but there's a lot of value on the board with receiver, you've got to be nimble, you've got to modify your strategy and, and go with uh, those wide receivers. So it really is based on availability, but... Um, you know, you got to look to see if you're at the questionable running back versus like a, a top wide receiver, like a DeAndre Hopkins versus a Josh Jacobs. You, you got to go DeAndre or Julio or, or, or Tyreek over someone with a big question mark next to him that early because your early guys really need to produce if you're going to have a chance at winning a title. So if you go running back, running back early, you kind of look at the way the board unfolds. You just have to be comfortable that your wide receiver one is, and this is the early part of the draft, positions one through five. Uh, your wide receiver one would likely be Odell Beckham, which I've been scarred by him. So, you know, everyone's going to talk every year about how much upside he has. But until we see it, um, I'm, I'm not going to buy into that. You have DeAndre Hopkins, new team. Um, Will talked last week about how he's just kind of bearish on Arizona in general. And, you know, new player on new team with this kind of awkward season, off season that we have going on. That's Who knows how that's going to gel. Um, Julio Jones and Amari Cooper. You know, Julio Jones is my wide receiver one, and I have two stud running backs. I, I'm not going to be disappointed in that. And if Hooper, or I'm sorry, Cooper is my number one, then I'm not going to be kind of uh, losing sleep at night over that either. But if you look late into the draft, mm-hmm. right, you take two running backs. Let's say you end up with a Josh Jacobs and a Miles Sanders, argument's sake. Your wide receiver one is probably going to be someone like Kenny Galladay, Allen Robinson, DJ Moore, Juju Smith-Schuster. So you already have some question marks at those two running backs that you took. And your wide receiver one isn't that just ironclad stud that you really, really want. You know, I tell you, out of those names, uh, Allen Robinson really sticks out. He He had a good year last year with a Mitch Trubisky absolutely struggling. You know, if Nick Foles can can pull together a decent season, that's going to be a steal. So you're already assuming that Nick Foles beats uh, Trubisky for the starting quarterback job in Chicago? I mean, you got to think so. The way the way uh, Trubisky played, you got to think there's no hidden gear that having some competition at, 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 at uh, training camp is going to push him to. I mean, he is what he is. He wasn't great in college, and, and this is just what you're dealt with. And you got to kind of cut the ties, especially with – you know, David Montgomery's a nice back. Allen Robinson, you've got a you got a good squad with the Packers getting a little bit older and and uh, the, the Vikings losing Stephon Diggs. You got a bit of an opening to make an impact in that division. I agree with that. I love Allen Robinson. I I feel like I've had Allen Robinson three out of the last four years or something like that. If if that isn't accurate, it feels like it is at least. 
Um, he had 98 receptions last year. He was great. He was fantastic last year. He's part of the reason why he's wide receiver eight or nine right now in, in ECR. But I also am a, I'm a big Allen Robinson guy. But that quarterback position, man, like if that quarterback position is a question mark, it can just totally deteriorate whoever that <clears throat> wide receiver one is. So you just it's, it's again, if if that's your guy, you go get your guy, right? But but ask yourself, do you think it can be worse than last year from the quarterback perspective? Have you seen Brock Osweiler play football? <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> it can always be worse. All right. So um, one more thought on, on sort of draft <clears throat> position and taking either two wide receivers to start or two running backs to start. I feel like it kind of loses your ability to take the best available player as you go deeper into the draft. Because if you take two wide receivers – you kind of feel like you have to overcompensate a little bit on the running backs and just stockpile a bunch of at the, at the draft time being B-level running backs, hoping they become A-level running backs. Whereas if you get your best available option, it happens to be another receiver, you're like, oh my gosh, am I going to really take three receivers and no running back right now? So it's something to think about. But again, you have to kind of align that thought process up with who are the guys that you really covet in, in, in drafts this year. You know, but it's worth mentioning that your team isn't completely built during the draft. You know, I, I, I kind of do a post-mortem with my teams and I look at it and the constant I've noticed is you're probably looking at 30 to 40% of your draft players that you draft making up your starting roster at the end of the season. So just because you draft these guys, I mean, between injuries and, and guys who blow up on the waiver wire, there's a lot of opportunities to fine tune that team and, and make yourself stronger, uh, stronger on the back end. I wish I could do post-mortems, actual post-mortems with the players on the team. Maybe we <laughs> try to do that during Zoom. That would be an ugly Zoom from my team, uh, my team last year. All right, let's do a team deep dive real quick. Let's talk about the Minnesota Vikings. We'll do Dolphins at a, at a later date. Um, let's start with the quarterback position. Kirk Cousins, Mr. Primetime, and I say that sarcastically. He's currently the QB20, which means... Are you comfortable having Kirk Cousins as your backup quarterback? Talk to me about no. Mr. Cousins. You Every, like that? <laughs> Every single person I know has been burned by Kirk Cousins. Everyone has seen him. Oh, he's playing insert terrible team. Let's say the Bengals on Sunday night. He's got to go off for three touchdowns. No, it's 200 yards and maybe a touchdown. Everyone has been burned by him. But... Um, although he doesn't put up the numbers, you know, we see the numbers on the team, you know, Dalvin Cook had a great year last year, Adam Thielen would have had one, but for the injury, um, Stefan Diggs, you know, Kyle Rudolph with his two yard completions and maybe a dunk, uh, touchdown. So, so no, Kirk, Kirk Cousins, I mean, put red tape around that guy. Don't, don't get him whatsoever. But the Vikings do, they're probably one of the most, uh, interesting off-season rosters, you know, between Dalvin Cook possibly holding out and the departure of Stephon Diggs. So Kirk Cousins is even streamable against some of those bad defenses that you mentioned, or you, you just want to tell your, the audience to, even if it looks tempting and they're playing against the worst defense in the league, don't even pick them up. You know, we, we've all been there, and uh, I know I've been there. I, I can't remo- recall the game exactly, but I think I had a, a quarterback on by. And um, I didn't have a backup on my roster. And I, I was like, you know what? It's got to be a sure thing. And he just was terrible. And you don't know when he's going to step up and have 
a decent game. He plays pretty conservative, so if there's decent coverage on, on his receivers, he's not really going to force the issue or air it out. So it's, it's just too much of a risk. Okay, fair enough. Receivers, um, you have Adam Thielen there. Stephon Diggs, you mentioned, is gone. Uh, Justin Jefferson was drafted early. He was on LSU, and he was a great player in LSU. Um, you said Kirk Cousins is not going to be a viable quarterback, but there's still targets to go around. There's still fantasy points to go around from a, a receiver perspective. Also to take into consideration Kevin Stefanski, who really implemented a run-heavy offense. He's gone. Gary Kubiak is, is there. Gary Kubiak was there last year as well. Um, he's also a run-heavy offensive coordinator. Um, to how, what does this mean for the likes of Adam Thielen, who a couple of years ago was fantastic, uh, right now, he's ECR wide receiver 14. How do you feel about Adam Thielen? So hamstrings have a tendency to linger. God knows we, we've seen that. Once you, once you start hurting it, they tend to come back. And uh, so Adam Thielen, I think if you get him at the right area, um, if you can get him like a third, fourth round pick, he, he should be worth it. Um, I was never a Thielen believer. I always thought it was Stephon Diggs, but the way Stephon Diggs didn't step up uh, when Thielen was hurt that much, that that was pretty interesting to me. The only thing to really worry about with Stephon Diggs, you're really hoping Justin Jefferson steps up because now with without Stephon on the other side, you're going to be looking at different coverages, possibly double coverages, looking at the uh, at a uh, at the number one DB covering him. So it's going to rest a lot on how quick Justin Jefferson can pick up the playbook. And I know with COVID and the, and the lack of camps, um, we've been talking about how rookies are going to get impacted because they don't have the, uh, the the camp ahead of the season. So so Thielen should be a good pick, but it's really based a lot based on uh, how Justin Jefferson. So based on what you said about Thielen, it sounds like you'd only be looking to take him if he falls to you. F- wide receiver 14, it might be a little too rich for, for your blood, right? Yeah. Justin Jefferson, wide receiver 49, which is pretty deep in drafts, given that he's now kind of in the Stefan Diggs role. He should beat out the likes of a... Tajay Sharp and, and BC Johnson, who, you know, Justin Jefferson got drafted early for a reason, and those guys aren't household names. Um, where's the value in Justin, Je- Justin Jefferson? Wide receiver 49, is, 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 is he worth it? I think that's worth it. I mean, you, you, you look at it, and it, the Vikings have always fed two mouths, and Justin Jefferson absolutely blew up at LSU last year. So I, th- I think that's a great pick. Um, looking, looking at our... Uh, you know, our draft, the, the dynasty draft, the way we do it. If you can get him, if he falls the 11th round or if you can get him in that dynasty spot, I think that's going to be a great pick. If he falls to the 11th round, I'm running to the podium. <laughs> tell you that much. All right. Is there anything to talk about in terms of Tajay Sharp or BC Johnson? Tajay is wide receiver 123. BC Johnson, wide receiver 125. Or just are those waiver, waiver wire that's, guys? Those are, those are waiver wire. I mean, you, you can pick them up, stream them if there's a good matchup or an in- injury, but I don't think those are going to be anyone you roster. Agreed. All right, Dalvin Cook, um, we have, obviously have the draw. There's always a running back that's in that first round, I feel like, that's talking about holding out. Um, I like to stay clear away from situations like that. I just I want my first-round pick playing week one, period. If it doesn't happen, I'm not going to be the guy to reach for him early and – kind of hope that he ends up signing the contract. I've seen people get burned by that in the past. How are you thinking about Dalvin Cook? I'm not thinking about Dalvin Cook. I'm thinking about Alexander <laughs> you Madison. You don't dream of him at night? I'm thinking of Alexander <laughs> Madison. Honestly, really? Okay. That guy was 
obviously we know Dalvin Cook uh, previously had injury issues. So Alexander Madison was the handcuff and the greatest anomaly happened where Dalvin Cook did not get hurt. Um, I think the Minnesota Vikings, and obviously this is pure speculation, but what everything in fantasy is, um, Alexander Madison, the Vikings are going to know what they have in him. So there isn't going to be too much rush to go give Dalvin Cook this huge contract. And, you know, it also depends on if Dalvin Cook's looking for that Christian McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott money that he really probably shouldn't be entitled to. Um, and then you've got that big contract that Kirk Cousins has that he's not playing up to. So I, I would really be targeting Alexander Madison in this draft. Interesting. Even if Dalvin Cook signs a contract, you're still going to fade Dalvin Cook and look to... Well, if, if they get it done before your fantasy draft, that's a different thing. But if it's still up in the air, I mean, we're, what, close to two months out right now, that's that's going to change quite a bit. But as as we sit here today... I know they say both sides are optimistic on the contract deal, but they said the same about Melvin Gordon last year. Yes, they did. They said they, they, they said the same about pretty much all these guys who hold out. So, so, so we'll see. But I think Alexander Madison is, is going to be a hell of a back if he gets the opportunity. Interesting. All right. So tight ends. I don't think there's a whole lot to talk about here, but I'll bring it up anyway. Irv Smith Jr., year two, tight end 24. Kyle Rudolph, tight end 27. Rudolph has been the household name, but, you know, he's kind of like a Jason Witten light where he catches the ball and maybe falls forward for two yards, and that's about all you get. He does get some red zone targets, which are nice. to always get that kind of lucky tight end TD inside the five-yard line. What are your thoughts on the tight end position for Minnesota? I, I mean, I, I think you nailed it with that Witten comp. Uh, you know, Rudolph is really that touchdown-dependent tight end where if they get the ball within the five and do a little fade or something, that's, that's really what you're hoping for Rudolph. And I I think, I think he's the streamer option. I don't know if he's, he's someone you roster, but I I think I remember him being uh, on the waiver wires for the most part. And someone you pick up in a tight spot. Yep. Yep. Agreed. I feel like everybody has had Kyle Rudolph on their team at some point or another. All right. Interesting. And then lastly, to close out the, the conversation about the Vikings, um, since we've gone in depth about them, where do you see them finishing the season in terms of record and standings in, the, in their division? So I could, I could see them being, uh, they've got a shot at winning the division. I, I see a lot of regression from Green Bay, to be quite honest with you. And, uh, you know, the Bears with that, that quarterback situation is an absolute mess. So, so I see them in the 1-2 spot, the Vikings. That, uh, that division is definitely up for grabs, absolutely. I agree 100%. The Vikings' defense lost a few players this year. They lost some guys in the secondary. But, you know, if they keep, they keep that run game up, I think Dalvin Cook being on the team, being there is going to be wildly important because they rely so much on the run game. Alexander Madison, while he's a, a great prospect, as you mentioned, and he fills in the gap really well, we still haven't be, seen him over a course of a 16-game season be a workhorse back. So... Um, we'll see how that all unfolds. I'm kind of right there with you. The Vikings will be in the thick of it as they have been in prior seasons. I don't see a reason why they wouldn't be. I like the Justin Jefferson pick. He was great at LSU. He basically played in the pro offense while he was there. So I think he's, he should slide in nicely. All right. So back when we were kids, there was a show on TGIF. Remember on Friday nights, um, the show was called Hanging with Mr. Cooper. So we're going to play a game of hanging or not hanging with Mr. Amari Cooper. <laughs> We're going to compare Amari, which, as we know, has always been a somewhat volatile fantasy player. 
the presence of C.D. Lamb in the Dallas Cowboy roster also does pose a little bit of a target maybe regression, right? Because that used to be Randall Cobb, and Randall Cobb, in my opinion, is a little washed. C.D. Lamb, if you watch him play at Oklahoma, what a stud he is. Um, so let's do a little game of hanging or not hanging with Mr. Cooper. We'll start off with Mr. Cooper or Mike Evans. God, you know, um, Cooper was, he was pretty, he had a good year last year. You know, he was about 1,200 yards, eight TDs. So he, he was a solid wide receiver. Looking at those two guys, um, I don't think I'm hanging with Cooper, though. I, I think with uh, Tom Brady and having a, an adult as a quarterback in Tampa Bay, um, someone who can consistently play four quarters of football and throw, throw a decent ball, He'll be he'll be in good shape. I I, I see Mike Evans making a big return, um, and actually having a better season and being uh, higher graded than Godwin. Wow, that's 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 a bold statement there. Godwin was wide receiver two, I believe. Um, Evans wide receiver twelve. When you look at ECR compared to to Amari Cooper, Amari Cooper wide receiver eleven, Mike Evans wide receiver eight. Um, in your opinion, is Amari Cooper the number one wide receiver on the Dallas Cowboys? No doubt. I mean, he, he, he got paid. He got his contract for a certain reason. He's developed the chemistry with Dak Prescott, um, a, a reliable guy. Um, and, and, you know, I think CeeDee Lamb is going to help him open up the field a little bit. So I, I, I think that CeeDee Lamb acquisition is actually going to help his stock. Interesting. And you think Mike Evans is the wide receiver one on Tampa, which is why you, you hang with Mr. Evans and not with Mr. Cooper. <laughs> All right. Amari Cooper or Juju Smith-Schuster? God, you know, this one's tough. I mean, Juju's season last year was an absolute wash, but you, you got to think that uh, Big Ben's going to be back. He's going to be in shape, um, and he's going to be just throwing that long ball. So um, I'll, I'll be hanging with Juju. So I'm going to disagree with you there because when I look at Ben Roethlisberger, and I don't know him and we don't hang out, but he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that really takes care of himself in the offseason. You see those pictures of the beard, or the beard and the belly. Um I'm, and he's 38. I'm 39, and I know what it takes to stay somewhat relatively in shape. Uh, and I'm not optimistic on Ben being able to play a full season. I do think Juju's going to have a better year this year than last year. It's hard for him to go backwards with that quarterback situation being just god-awful. Um, but is there, a, is there a Juju Amari bet that we're going to make offline on this for a certain number of credits? Yes, there is. All right. Yes, there is. I will take the Cooper side of that bet, and you can take the Juju side of the bet. Sounds good. It's on the pod. Lock it in. All right. We're going Cooper or Keenan Allen? Ooh. I'm hanging with Cooper here. I mean, Keenan Allen had about 1,200 yards, six TDs last year with a quarterback that he's got the chemistry with, et cetera, albeit we don't love Rivers. And now you're looking at um, a tie rod situation where he's not really airing the ball out. Tyrod's the safe guy who just kind of keeps the role for a little bit. So I, I, I definitely am I'm hanging with Cooper on this one. Everyone is really, really low on Keenan Allen this year. Um, Tyrod Taylor doesn't throw the ball that much, but he's wide receiver 20 according to ECR, which Keenan Allen has historically been a top 10 receiver in drafts for a really long time. He might be a little undervalued, um, I'm not big on the Chargers myself, so I kind of I can kind of see why he's wide receiver 20. But there's always every year in those drafts where everybody's undervaluing someone and they're just undervaluing them a little bit too much. But I agree with you. 
I would also hang with Mr. Cooper there. Do you, so, so speaking of the Chargers, are you thinking they uh, put Herbert in at some point, or is Tyrod going to finish out the season with notwithstanding an injury? By mid-season, by week eight, Herbert will be playing for the Chargers. I'm not big on the Chargers this year. I think once they start losing a few games, um, they're playing. They're going to be playing in that new stadium this year. They need something to ignite the fans in that stadium. And while I'm not a Herbert guy, that's the only kind of tool in the toolbox for them to go to. All right, we're going Cooper, or we're going who we just talked about recently, Adam Thielen. God, you know, um, Thielen had six touchdowns, and he only played, God, I can't remember how many games he played, but maybe half the season or so. Just looking at that, you got to, I'm not hanging with Cooper. You got to be with Thielen on that one. I agree. I think Thielen could be a little bit of a target hog this year, especially with Justin Jefferson starting to learn the playbook. Um, I like that. I like that call. I think it's very close. Thielen is wide receiver 14 in ECR. Amari Cooper, wide receiver 11, as we mentioned earlier. And then that, last but not least, Amari Cooper or DJ Moore? God, you know, this is probably the toughest one out of all of them. Um, unpopular opinion, but I think Teddy Bridgewater is an upgrade at quarterback over there. Um, I think he throws a more catchable ball, but the, on the flip side of that, Teddy Bridgewater definitely is a, is a more conservative thrower of the ball, so how many deep balls are you going to get? Um, so with that, I, I would probably be hanging with Cooper on this one. DJ Moore is so beloved this year in fantasy. Everybody is talking him up. He had a great year last year. year. Kyle Allen was the quarterback. I agree with you. Teddy Bridgewater is an upgrade, but he's kind of been a more conservative-type thrower. They did just sign Robbie Anderson, who he's kind of a one-trick pony deep ball guy. So between Robbie Anderson, Curtis Samuel, and DJ Moore all there, is DJ Moore really going to be the number one guy? I think Amari Cooper is the number one guy on his team. Um, so I, I would also hang with Mr. Cooper. Awesome. That was a lot of fun. I always love those sessions. It's hard to kind of compare these guys, right? Then you get the pressure when it actually comes up during draft day. But I like our bet of Juju Smith-Schuster versus, versus uh, Mr. Cooper there. Um, any last second kind of fantasy draft planning advice that you want to give the audience? Um, yeah, be nimble. Let, let the draft unfold. Or and be I, water, I, as just, Mark Amlin would say. I was just going to say, be, be water. You know, don't, don't be set on your strategy. If you want to go boom, boom backs, but there's a run on them and people are passing up wide receivers, be ready for it. Um, another thing, uh, Mark and Alan, don't let things get in your way of your draft like your family. They should be, they should be helping you. They should be on your back. Uh, know how to prioritize your life. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, I, I've got a wife, Sarah, who, you know, we have the same draft every single every single year, the weekend before Labor Day. And we got a wedding invitation for uh, for her cousin's birthday on the same day. She opened it, looked at me and goes, goes, oh, I know you're not coming to the wedding. You'll be at the draft. So surround yourself with those people, positive people. Yeah, in all seriousness, if you're in a league that has the same people year in and year out, which that's – a Really the most fun way to have a league is just to have the camaraderie and have the same people in it, people that you've known for a long time. Plan your draft on the same weekend of the year every year so you know five years out from now that your draft day is going to be on a specific date. That way, kind of other life events, um, your friends will know, you will know that that is just a weekend that you can't really part with. Last but not least, we've had some interesting bold predictions. We've had some weak ones, some strong ones. Um, let's talk about your bold prediction for the 2020 NFL season and fantasy season. Um, Ezekiel Elliott will be the number one running back. That's for you, Ian. No, but in all seriousness, um, uh, 2020 has been a very negative year. 
um, a lot going on. So unfortunately, mine will be negative. Look for the Saints and Packers offenses to pull back dramatically versus last year. Give me a player that you would fade on one of those two teams because of that bold prediction. I'm, I'm fading Alvin Kamara. Okay. And I'm fading Aaron Rodgers and everyone associated with him. Are you making this prediction because Rodgers and Breeze are, are older and kind of regressing and you're just seeing the fall off of those two teams? There's definitely that. I think we saw Drew Breeze play a hell of a season last season for him because he missed half of it. So he was rested. And when you're a guy in, uh, in your 40s or so, that rest of those weeks off is, is really important. And for Aaron Rodgers, we all know he's not the most uh, – he wears his emotions on his sleeve. And I think coming off this draft, not getting any weapons, he's going to come in there with probably his head hanging a little bit and not so much uh, drive as he may, may have had if they gotten some weapons. Rock on. Awesome. Good stuff, man. Good having you on. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it.